Hello to all you unconventional conventionists out there. Welcome to Rocky Talkie. We're so excited you could join us this week. I'm here. I'm Aaron. I'm joined by Nikki and John. Nikki, what'd you do this week? I had a good week. My boyfriend and I drove up to Pennsylvania and we visited my sister and we celebrated her birthday and her engagement. We went snow tubing and I learned the hardest way possible that I was not built for snow tubing and I will never be doing it again. So thank you. Is the butt bruised? No, but the ego certainly is. That's valid. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as bad. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. John, what were you up to this week? Uh, Nothing much, just the usual stuff. Uh, Working from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. and streaming from 7.30 a.m. to whenever the hell I decide to finish. I did find out this week that I got a raise. Ooh. I don't know where it came from. I'm not mad about it. I'm just confused. (laughs) I hope it came from your job, otherwise... Yeah. I'll give you a raise. I'll give you a job. Stop. All right. Glad we're on the same page. There it is. And with that, let's move on over to some global news. All right. Hate to start global news off on a down note, but our first segment this week, some of the 2021 UK tour dates have started to be canceled. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, both the Southampton Mayflower Theatre, which was supposed to run the show from March 4th through the 13th, and the Oxford New Theatre, where the show was scheduled from the 29th to April 3rd, have announced that they're going to be staying dark at least through the beginning of April. So there's no news as to whether these shows will be rescheduled or just canceled. I'd imagine this is probably just going to be a wait-and-see situation since it's a tour. I mean, dates aren't really that flexible. We'll see. It sounds like the theaters are just doing what we're all doing, which is making optimistic plans to do things six months from now and then getting closer to the event, seeing that it's still not safe, and canceling. Honestly, last year when COVID began, uh, I was supposed to go to Puerto Rico for my birthday, and those miles are still sitting in my Mm. JetBlue account. I have until May 2021 to use them, and something tells me that that's not going to happen. You should file for an extension. I should file to get my fucking money back, JetBlue. Yeah, Yeah, right? But realistically, you can't blame them. As soon as it's safe to go back outside, people are going to be falling all over themselves to get out and do all the fun stuff that they miss, including going to live performances again. It definitely sucks that we're not at a point where it's an option yet, and that the shows won't really be able to run as scheduled, but honestly, good for the theaters for being safe and making sure that their patrons are informed and getting refunded way ahead of time. I'm looking at you, JetBlue. Fuck (laughs) you. Hopefully, we'll be safe enough way later in the year for a reschedule, but if not, there's always 2022, and that is going to be a good year. Four. 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 Oh, speaking of good years, did you guys see the interview with Anthony Stewart Head that came out this week? No. I'm in love with that man. All right, so if you don't know, he is a really prolific stage show Frankenfurter and all around just real prolific performer in general. He played Frank on the West End in 1990 and 91, and then he was at London's Duke York Theatre in 95, also playing Frank. He played Frank at the Hard Rock in Las Vegas in 2000, and then in 2006 was in the Rocky Tribute Show. So this man knows his way around the role and the show and Rocky in general. 
And not only that, going even further, Anthony Stewart Head is all over the place in the shadow casting community just in general. For those of you who may not know, in addition to playing Frank like a million different times on stage, he also is very well known for playing Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as well as Nathan Wallace in Repo the Genetic Opera, which I wouldn't say he's well known for it because nobody knows and or cares about Repo, but he was in it. And at, like, any given con, we probably have at least, like, three iterations of Anthony Stewart Head running around at the same time. You'll get somebody playing Giles, somebody playing Nathan, somebody playing Frank. Like, he's everywhere. Fun fact, uh, his last name is Head, and there's absolutely something inherently funny about that. <laughs> Inherently funny about that. <laughs> well, Mr. Head has a new film coming out. It's a cool little end-of-the-world apocalypse movie about a group of students and a teacher in England taking shelter in a school while a dangerous plague ravages the country. That doesn't sound familiar at all. No. It's called School's Out Forever. And since film is a dying industry, it'll be, as the kids say, straight to VHS, whose kids I don't know. And you can download or rent it starting on February 15th. Oh, yeah. I watched the trailer. And it seems like a fun end of the world romp with like super Lord of the Flies vibes. I don't know. I fuck with it. In this interview he gave to promote the movie, he mentioned that the Rocky Horror stage show was a big part of his coming into himself as a teen and a performer. As a teenager in and around the early 70s, Head was going to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and some friends took him to see the original Rocky Horror show with Tim Curry and everything. Like, jealous, first of all. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> the musical really inspired Head, and he says it even ignited something in his core. Boy, I can sure remember a few times Rocky Head has ignited something in my core. <laughs> anyway, in the interview, Mr. Head talked about his time playing Frank at the Piccadilly Theater in 1990. He said that performing the show was life-changing for him as an actor, and it made him realize that there's nowhere that you can't go. You know, I definitely think that a lot of us have had that sort of intimate experience with Rocky, where the act of performing such a weird piece of theater makes you more out there, you know, more comfortable expressing yourself and both being weird on stage and off stage, just in the rest of your day-to-day -day life. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. Anyway, so, speaking of expressing yourself and being weird, let's transition over to community news. So guys, I loved this weekend's Repo the Genetic Opera virtual performance. JCCP and RKO did such a fucking good job. Like, I was looking forward to the show all week, but it was absolutely 100 times more worth all the hype that I created in my head. I've got to be honest, this might have been my favorite showing of Repo, like, ever. You see, I didn't realize how well it would work as a virtual performance. But as I was watching it, I recognized that, like, all of the issues I have with the traditional Shadowcast performance of the show are just gone since it's virtual. Now, like, I don't mean to knock any of the live performances I've seen, but Repo's an opera, which means a lot of the time the characters are just standing there singing to each other, sometimes without much action going on, or literally no action going on. So in a live show, this can make some of it a little boring to watch. It's not that anybody's doing a bad job, it's just that the pacing of the movie itself is slow, and when you've got actors on stage 80 feet away, it's hard to catch all the little facial expressions and nuances that they are doing to make their performance interesting. So, as a virtual show... That problem's gone. It makes it feel really personal to be able to watch all of their faces and subtle movements right up there in the camera where they can accurately express 
what their character's trying to do. I feel like the character that this worked out perfectly for was Marnie, who is only ever portrayed as like a hologram or a portrait throughout the entire movie. So like when you're performing on stage, the actor who's playing Marnie has to either stand on stage where she's not meant to be there, or run on and off stage like really fucking fast. The actors always do a great job and make it work, but like, damn, it must have been nice to play a Marnie who can just appear and disappear by just clicking a fucking button. Alex Brown did a great job in that role, and it seemed like she was having the time of her life, not having to spin around the stage and just getting to be a pretty ghost. The whole cast was so well put together. I felt like everyone was totally perfect for their roles. Sardonyx, who played Gravedigger, absolutely fucking killed it, and that's a difficult role to play. Their costume was on point, the blue lighting throughout the whole show made the character pop like crazy. It was just a well-rounded performance altogether. They had the role of Shiloh double cast between Mick's Universe and Lady Quinn, and both of them had that shit down. Like, holy crap. They both spent a lot of time getting their face, like, right up in the camera, and not only was all of their dialogue perfect, but even their facial expressions were, like, pretty fucking accurate. It's just like you were talking about, Aaron. That's something you'd never be able to catch on stage, and it's so nice to actually be able to appreciate those small details up close. And both Nathans were great, too. They were played by Lucas Hawthorne and Ray Zombie. Another shout-out to Anthony Stewart Head. <laughs> that always strikes me as the hardest role to play in that show. It just seems like it would be genuinely emotionally taxing to be that angsty and aggro for so long. Good job, guys. I mean, maybe it seems taxing because they spend the whole show ripping people's guts out? Could be. Could be. Could be. Speaking of ripping people's guts out, the whole Largo family was just great. Sam the Hobo was Roddy, and their performances are always stunning. I love getting to watch them perform in literally any role. Their Charlie Chaplin Scott is my absolute favorite. They're an excellent Farley from Shock Treatment, and turns out they're a super intimidating and fun Roddy. You can tell Meg wrote this part because she won't get Sam the Hobo's dick out of her fucking mouth. Harley was a hysterical Pavi. I mean, we already sucked Harley's dick enough last week, so we'll, we'll go a little easy this time. But their makeup was honestly terrifying and a little gross, but like, you know, in that cool way. Uh, Phantom Filer, who played Luigi, was giving off some major Eric Trump vibes, which was also pretty gross. But, you know, that's exactly what you want for that character. And don't even get me started on this one. The always iconic Luna LaCreme played Amber. Did you guys catch how perfect their Zydrate Anatomy corset was? It looked identical to the one Paris Hilton wears. It was insane. Also, they posted a TikTok in like full Amber and I just like swooned. I was like, oh my God. So shout out to Luna on TikTok anyway. And their quick change into the white one for the next scene. How was that even possible? It was a full costume change in like two seconds and it was so fucking impressive. Yo, if you want to talk about costuming Rosie Cheeks playing Blind Mag and her Cromagia corset for her solo at the end of the movie, fucking fabulous. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I think that that is my favorite costume piece in that movie because I really like, like, all the feathers and all the accoutrements. And I love being able to see that one in particular up close because there's just, like, no way to make that sort of piece without investing a ton of effort into it. Rosie, if you're listening... Your performance was awesome, but your perfect Cromagia corset made my whole entire week. Almost as much as my raise. I do gotta say, though, my favorite actor in this show was hands down Stress Banana as Sir Dies a lot. I've said before, I have a really, really hard time watching anything bloody, gory, scary, but you, Stress Banana, made all the gory bits funny as hell. 
This guy died like a dozen times throughout the show. He played all the repo victims and he made each death super unique. He used like different camera angles. I've never seen anyone die that many times and still manage to be funny. Great job. You are my fucking hero. Can we just think about the number of times he had to run to the bathroom to wash red paint off of himself in between scenes? It's like the the TikTok, uh, the I gotta go my own way, the one where they like put the hair on top of each other and shit, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Also, though, we cannot forget Ponyboy, who was the most enthusiastic band leader, like, probably ever. Probably more enthusiastic than the guy in the movie. He was like the marching band conductor that all of the band nerds wished we had had in high school. That shit was so great. Also, great costume. Love seeing all your pins. Ponyboy, I'm your biggest fan. I love you. <laughs> we definitely need to mention Miss Strawberry Time, who played the single mom, CJ, who played the unarmed addict, and Serena, who was their smoking hot genturn. Plus, of course, Zephyr, the uncredited smoking hot genturn. All of you were phenomenal. Yeah, mad props to everyone who put this show together. You guys had to wade through some shit with the streaming situation, but you didn't let it phase any of you. You guys powered through it and really put on such a fantastic show, and we love you for it. And we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to their tech guy, Caden. I've been in that same spot where a stream is happening, you're dropping frames, you're not quite sure what to do, scrambling, trying to keep the show running. A lot of the time, it's just an issue with the streaming platform you're using. The issues are out of your hands, and you just need to figure out how to deal with them as they pop up. Which he did flawlessly. He kept the drop <laughs> frames to a minimum. The show went on. Awesome job, dude. You're clearly good at being the cast tech guy. And that's from one tech guy to another. While we're speaking about things that Aaron likes... If you're in the market for a new Frank Whipping Scene jacket, like maybe you heard our episode about it a few weeks ago and you decided that it might be time for an upgrade, we've got a hot, spicy lead for you. Longtime Rocky Horror Community member Dave Spelling recently listed one of his Frank jackets up for sale. The listing reads, My old real leather jacket, 60 plus pin badges out of 77 complete and 20 patches. Some pin badges are original, but most are replicas. Size is 42 chest, and although it is not perfect, it is an amazing jacket that would grace any show next year. 700 pounds. That's 958 US dollars, plus postage. I'll send it anywhere, but you pay for the insurance and postage. This is a really nice jacket. Although it isn't perfectly screen accurate, like, it would not only pass as screen accurate from on stage, it'll also probably look more accurate than, like, probably anyone else's on your cast's. Unless you're on NYC and Aaron is who you're competing against. The jacket base isn't the base, but it looks pretty darn close from what I can tell. It's got like the fringe and the chains and of course all the really big patches where they're supposed to be. <laughs> so this jacket has me shook for a couple of reasons. Initially, when I saw it was 700 pounds, I was like, wow, that's a heavy ass jacket. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's seven. <laughs> I was like, damn. But anyway, um, 700 pounds, like it's under a thousand dollars. And I don't mean that sarcastically. Sure, that is a lot. Like that is a lot for a costume piece. But if you take into account that it's a nice leather jacket with a shit ton of patches and pins already on it that you don't have to spend time hunting down and buying piece by piece, that's actually kind of a steal. Aaron, didn't you say you're like 
$3,000 into your jacket already and you haven't even settled on a jacket base yet? Yeah, and I totally agree. 1000 bucks for a nearly completed jacket is an awesome deal. For me, though, the, the fun part is putting together the jacket. It's hunting for the pins and the patches I want to include. And that's why I think it's worth taking more time and spending more money, a, a lot more money often. But... I know that I'm definitely in the minority there. There's probably a lot of Franks who would love to be able to just plunk down some money for a near-finished piece, spend the, the little amount of time that they want to try and get it to the state that they want it, and have it look great without having to put all of the effort into making it themselves. So if you're interested in seeing pictures of the jacket, you can contact Dave Spelling on Facebook and Facebook Messenger. He's posted the jacket for sale in a few groups, including the Rocky Horror Merchandise Selling Group. But you can also reach out to him directly, and he will be happy to give you some more info. Can I just say real quick, like, this wouldn't even be fucking possible if not for all of the work that the community put in making reproduction pins over the last year. Like... You've never seen stuff like this come up on the market in years past just because it takes so much time to get it all. And now that this stuff's more available, finally we're seeing this piece actually coming out for sale on a wider scale. That's awesome. I love it. Last up in community news, we have a write-in response to last week's video game episode from Nikki's best friend, the Duke of England. What's up, Duke? We're gonna go. Let's go. Let's go, like, let's go read the message. <laughs> Got it. I'm on it. So Duke writes, hello again. This probably won't be read until after it stopped being relevant, but because I'm writing this pretty close to Sunday, here it goes. Not close enough, buddy. You made it in just under the wire. I own a copy of the Rocky Interactive Horror Show. I've played it. I have to tell you, it is impossible to capture the insanity of this game in writing. First off, it's not really point and click. You walk around with the arrow keys and you pick stuff up by standing in a super precise spot and pressing space. The cutscenes are wild. My personal favorite is the one of Richard O'Brien saying, Hit the pleasure button, baby, and then grunting sexually. But the intro cutscene is pretty great. Just because you get to hear Christopher Lee say, Gender dysphoria, in an extremely dramatic tone. Finally, this game is insanely difficult. Like, the puzzles make no sense, and if you're on the wrong pixel, it doesn't work. Like, that kind of difficult. So, overall, I kind of like it. To be fair, I love puzzle games, and I also love shock treatment, so that gives you a sense of my horrible taste. I agree, Duke. You do have horrible taste. You watch me every night on Twitch. That says enough. He also doesn't like me, so... Yeah. Horrible taste. Also, on the subject of video game adaptations of Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think the Rocky Horror Minecraft Show is worth a watch. It's not really a shadow cast, but it's a Minecraft adaptation of a 1990 cast recording, and it's all in mostly unmodded Minecraft. It's on the YouTube channel Hated on MC, and I'd definitely recommend it. Finally, to Nikki, fight me. JK, I love you. Ooh, ooh. Yours, the Duke. First off, Duke. You know that you're not allowed to say the M word around me. Minecraft? So how did... Nikki, what did I just say? Okay, I didn't know that was... I, there's a lot of M words. That's offensive to his people. Yeah. If you go Yo. on my Twitch channel and you try to type in Minecraft, it'll tell you it's a block term. But Okay, wait. This, can I wait, say is it really need... blocked? Yes. <laughs> you blocked Minecraft? That's yeah, because fuck Minecraft, but... Fuck you. Fuck me, but... 
if we're combining Rocky with Minecraft, I guess I'll check it out. But this game sounds like an absolute roller coaster shit show, but like kind of in a fun way. I want to say something small, and then we can move on. Listen here, Duke. We are close. In mind and in heart. We like Minecraft. We like Rocky. We tolerate John. Let's squash this beef once and for all and admit that we're meant to be best friends forever. Sincerely yours, Nikki. Okay. Well, roller coasters <laughs> all around, it sounds like. <laughs> so, seriously, going through all the research for last week's episode, that game was definitely one of the most what-the-fuck ones out there at all. Hearing about it firsthand makes it seem even crazier. I'm going to have to find, like, a decently playable copy of this game for us to try. Everything I've heard about it says it sounds like it would be cringely entertaining. I mean, I played a little bit of a, let's call it less than legitimate version, but there was missing video. It ran really terribly, so I don't know. Maybe I am going to have to go pick up a real copy of this. I could see this being a good time if you're like into like gaming minutia where you have to be really precise. That sounds a lot like how those old flash escape room games were in the 2000s where you had to click on the exact right spot on the door handle to open the door or whatever. Those are fun. This sounds like that on acid or something, especially if you're constantly hearing Richard O'Brien telling you to hit that pleasure button. No, thank you. Although Minecraft Rocky does sound like a very good time. I love Minecraft, unlike some heathens in this podcast, and I'm definitely going to have to check out these videos because I can't even begin to wrap my head around how you do Rocky in Minecraft, but I'm definitely interested to see it. See, Nikki? The Duke loves you and wants to be friends, so he's pandering to your gaming preferences. Oh boy. <laughs> well, we still haven't come face to face yet, or, you know, whatever the online equivalent is. I'm mentally prepping for him to stop by your Twitch stream on Tuesday, so we'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll keep peace. Or maybe I'll drive to his house and beat him up. I'll keep you guys updated. Thank you so much for running in, Duke. We love hearing firsthand accounts of weird shit like this. Aaron and I love you, buddy, and we love getting your messages. Nikki is still undecided, let's say. <laughs> Jeez, John, if you're going to put words in my mouth, you could at least put something else in there first. Anyway, uh, that brings us to... Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Leandra. And we host Rocky Horror Minute. The podcast where we discuss the Rocky Horror Picture Show in excruciating detail one minute at a time. We're doing this show to share our love of the lyrics. You've never seen a prune in real life. No! Okay. They're not the same as raisins, right? Our passion for performance. Oh my god! I was like, bad knees, stupid, sober. Our attention to detail. I know that everybody's curious. That car is a 1964 Ford Falcon Deluxe Sedan, four-door, 54D. And to unlock secrets that would otherwise be lost to time. Oh, are you asking if I know the name of the cheetah and why it had such a problem with the snake? Visit us on the web at RockyHorrorMinute.com for more information. Or look for us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nikki asks a uh, question. I love when Nikki asks a question. Hi, I'm not asking the question this week. Oh. I'm so sorry. This one comes to us from Rocky Fan from the Holler. They write, 
During Tatcha, why does Janet see every occupant of the castle on top of her? Is this supposed to indicate she got busy with all of them? Just a clue that in her newly expanded mindset, she's down for anything? Is there an answer? Am I thinking about it too hard? Inquiring minds want to know. So that's actually a really great question, and there's actually a super cute story behind it, too. Our friend, the Rocky fan from The Holler, is Meg's best friend and hetero life mate. He was even the best man at her and my wedding. He is an awesome guy, and he has an awesome wife. Hey, girl! They've got four kids, and this past week they watched Rocky Horror for the first time with their two older kids. He and Meg were texting about it throughout the whole movie, and he sent us pictures of, like, the kids doing time warp and stuff. You know, cute, goofy stuff like that. So about halfway through, he texts Meg this exact question, and she reads it out loud to me. So her and I are sitting there going back and forth trying to figure out if it was him or his preteen child that wondered this question, because it was kind of really out there. Turned out it was his own question, thank goodness, so we didn't have to feel completely crazy by being stumped by a child. And since we didn't have an offhanded answer for him, he told us to wait and answer it on air. So we've been super excited about it because it's actually such a good question. So, John, why don't you go ahead and give our friend from the holler a quick rundown? <clears throat> sure, sure. Amazing question. I'm gonna let Nikki take it. Okay, first, fuck you both. Uh-huh. Second, this question gives me, like, a full-on real existential crisis. I'm, like, deeply perturbed. Hi, deeply perturbed. Shut up. This is real. I've done this scene so many times as both Janet and as Rocky, even as, like, a transy, just, like, chilling in the tank. John, you've done this scene as both Janet and Rocky so many times. You right, I have. Aaron, you've... Anyway, not the point. What the fuck? Why has no one brought this up before? There has to be a simple answer. What are the creature of the night pop-ups meant to represent? Tell me. Tell me now. Okay, well, I know they represent a part of the show that every lighting tech everywhere fucking hates with a deep fury from deep down inside of their cold, dead soul. Sure, sure, that's a given. That's a given. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, for real, we can at least eliminate a couple of the suggestions that our friend from the holler had right off the bat. Yeah, Janet definitely did not sleep with Columbia, Magenta, or Riff, though I wouldn't mind watching any of those. Or Brad, at least not ever in the stage show or the movie, unless you accidentally slipped in one of those pornos. You said slipped in. I hate it so much. It's definitely not meant to represent that. Maybe it's Janet's newfound expanded mindset, like she says in her verse and floor show. So I'm not sure about that. Janet's verse and floor show is 100% part of the original 1973 stage show with only very minor differences from the version that's in the film. Why does that matter? Oh, uh, because all of the Creature of the Night cameos are not in any version of the stage show. That's something that was done just for the movie. I sense a history lesson coming on. So, okay, yes. In the original <laughs> stage show, at the end of Toucha... Rocky actually sings a couple of choruses of Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul, right? Opposite Janet singing the choruses of Touch a Touch a Touch Me, so on top of each other, both musically and literally. First of all, that sounds incredible, and I wish they kept that. But that's like a throwback to Rocky having half of Eddie's brain. Like, that's so neat. I've heard it in the 73 cast recording on YouTube. Rainer Burton, he's the original London Rocky, said in his autobiography that when the show moved to the Chelsea Classic from the theater upstairs, that was in August of 73, only three months after its initial opening at King's Road, they changed the staging for Toucha 
a little subtly. So Jim Sharman added Columbia and Magenta to the scene. They were hanging off of the scaffolding at the back of the stage so they could voyeuristically observe Janet and Rocky. More importantly, so they could be used for backup vocals for the final choruses of Creature of the Night. Wait, Magenta and Columbia weren't even in Toucha during the original staging? That's so weird. And that change was effectively permanent. The Hoppatuti backup is gone entirely by the 1974 Australian cast recording and the 1974 Roxy cast recording. It is like long gone by the time of the first published revision of the stage show script. I've seen some of the videos on YouTube of the modern staging, and a couple have even added the Phantoms to do the end Creature of the Night choruses. Yeah, and in the Fox remake, Tucha was completely reimagined. No, we don't talk about the remake. But, well, it- No. So why did they change it and get rid of Rocky's Hoppatootie stuff? And why did they add Magenta and Columbia? Was it just to, like, fill out the sound? Okay, well, there's no definitive answer to that question, but my best guess is that it has to do with the blocking. The way Toucha is stage has evolved over the years and years of many productions. One thing that has been present ever since the very original is the acrobatics that go on between Janet and Rocky at the end of Toucha. Like at the end of the song, Janet's all over Rocky. She's doing jumps, lifts, drops, twirls, just like climbing all over Rocky. That's how it's played today in the modern stage show. It's crazy to watch some of the Janets bouncing all over the place yet somehow managing to still sing the song. I once saw this clip on YouTube from a show at Carnegie Mellon where the Janet was literally being swung around in circles upside down while singing, among other insane choreography. The clip was clearly really modern, but where did all that acrobatic stuff come from? You said they were doing that even at the beginning. Is that something that was in the script? So spinning around in circles actually might not have been all that far off. According to Rainer Burton, it was a self-choreographed bit done by himself and the original Janet, that's Julie Covington, during rehearsals before the original show opened. There's a really entertaining excerpt about the whole thing from his autobiography. So we're going to read it here, but note that we've chopped this up a little bit. We've been really careful not to modify Burton's original intent. Space in front of the screen was at a premium, with there being only about nine feet between the screen and the first row of the audience. Apart from any vocal and visual restrictions we may encounter, we really didn't want to perform the final chorus of Toucha with me on top of Julie, predictably simulating humping her. The silhouette image had already been used to great effect for bedroom scenes. Julie leapt up onto me, her arms around my neck and her legs around my waist with me supporting her by clasping my hands together under her thighs to form a bench to take her weight. We then began to spin around on the spot. Our sexual frenzy heightened as we began singing to the second repeat of Touch Me. To depict this, I lowered Julie so that she was at a right angle to me, her legs still around my waist and our arms at full stretch joined by our hands, still spinning and still singing. For the final repeat of Touch Me, our sexual climax, I lowered Julie so her head was now only inches off the floor, still with her legs around my waist and holding her hands at arm's length. All of the movements we self-choreographed were made increasingly difficult in the performance 
once I was covered in baby oil. Rather than resembling a tanned blonde Adonis, I appeared to behave more like a greased lap dancing pole. The practical effect of this meant that Julie had to grip my waist very tightly indeed with her thighs. Not an unpleasant experience at all. Good God. Clarification, uh, it seems like we are going to be changing Rainer Burton's original intent, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrifying. One time during a live show, I need to preface, my best friend Andrea and I were doing Tasha, and she like hoisted me up onto her, you know, just, just to be crazy. As you do. We did not distribute the weight properly, and we like went up. I like went to bounce and we went down into the tank. Oh no. There's a video of it. it the audience was like, "Oh my god." And it was it, it was just horrible. So clearly, all that is just way too much for me. It sounds too much like those figure skating duos where one of them is being spun around by their ankles and with each spin it dips their head inch by inch closer to the ice. One wrong step and it's Bamo Kablooey, brains on ice. Oh, man. Okay. You'll cringe at this other story that Burton tells then. This one was during one of the very first shows ever at the theater upstairs. He says that he had heard rumors that he threw Julie Coventine off of the stage during one performance, but he clarified that was totally untrue. He said the real story was far worse, though completely unintentional. You kind of have to set the stage for this one. I see what you did there. Ew. <laughs> Remember, okay. So the original staging was real tiny, like super, super tiny. It was set in a dilapidated movie theater, so there was a big screen at the back of the stage, and behind the screen was a solid concrete pillar running from floor to ceiling. So during one of the performances, Burton and Covington began their choreography for the end of Toucha, and, well, let's hear it from the man himself. I got myself into position as always, or so I thought, and we proceeded with our choreography. On the second chorus, where I lowered Julie to the right angle position, we were spinning around and singing, as usual, when over the loudness of the music, I heard the most awful sound of Julie's head hitting the concrete pillar behind the screen. I immediately knew what had happened, and instinctively edged forward to as not to hit her against the pillar a second time. From the sound of the crack, I was astounded I hadn't knocked her out cold. As I looked at her, I could clearly see she was in shock, yet the incredible thing was, she just carried on singing leaving only her and me aware of what had just happened. Oh my god! Ow! <laughs> Why did I have to Fuck read it like that? That, that was horrible! <laughs> oh, that went from sexy to horrifying to terrible. I've watched a lot of porn that probably has that same arc, but ah! Oh my god! Oh my god, yeah. Well... Okay, so Burton goes on later in the book. He writes that he felt so bad about that story. Obviously. But here's the funny, well, fu I don't know if it's funny, but here's the thing. They never changed the blocking. Apparently, everybody took this, 
like in stride like a professional. He says later, The next day, I arrived at the theater. Stop, stop, please, please uh, no. do it normal. Do it normal. Normal, normal, please. <laughs> The next day, I arrived at the theater with a huge... Sean, I'm begging you. The next day, I arrived at the theater with a huge bunch of flowers for Julie by way of an apology and to somehow ease my guilt. Julie arrived with the most gruesome of black and blue bruising to the right-hand side of her face I have ever seen, running from above her eye to her jawline and across the corner of her mouth, and which required an excessive amount of foundation to disguise. Again, showing great courage and trust, Julie never asked for the choreography to be changed or for any positional marks to be placed on the floor. I'm pretty sure Osha would like a word with, well, fucking everyone involved in that show. <laughs> right? Jesus fucking Christ. No wonder they added Magenta and Columbia to do backup. You've got Rocky on stage spinning around, hoping against all else that he doesn't crack Janet's head open against the scenery. All the while, she's dizzy as fuck, just trying to keep singing. Let them concentrate on the batshit choreography and have Magenta and Columbia cover the song. That makes sense to me. Right. So then when Richard O'Brien and Jim Sharman wrote the screenplay for the movie, they expanded Magenta and Columbia's role in the song even more. They added in a whole new location in Columbia's bedroom where the girls could watch Janet and Rocky, and then they reused that for Dr. Scott's entrance. So what about the end creature of the nights that are in the movie? Get back to it. I know we can check the shooting script. What does it say there? Unfortunately, not much. It's only briefly noted. This is in the shooting script from 1975 from RockyMusic.org. It's an early draft of, of the final script that was used to make the movie. So at the end of Tatcha, it says this. We see Janet's POV of all the characters singing the last line. That's it. The script then lists out each line is a separate shot. No commentary, just as follows. Scene 103B, BCS Frank. Frank says, Creature of the Night. Scene 103C, BCS Columbia. Columbia says, Creature of the Night. And so on. What is a BCS? Is that a camera direction? No, I think it stands for um, Big Cock Syndrome. Or no, maybe it's Big Cum Shot. <sighs> that's, that's super close, John. It actually stands for Big Close-Up. Yeah, it does. I'll show you a big close-up of my dick okay anyway how is that different from an extreme close-up do you need the extra zoom level so you can see john's micro penis hey no that's kind of fair <laughs> no so a big close-up shows just a face filling the screen in an extreme close-up it's only part of a face or it's like a small object like a watch or your or dick. my penis <laughs> come on no, I won't lie. I had to go look up the difference between those two things. It's probably the first time that I've cracked open my copy of the Filmmaker's Handbook since college. If my film teacher's listening, because I know he does, I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> so what's that have to do with anything? It's just a direction for the camera. Right. By itself, it's just a note for the camera department. But the fact that it's so explicitly spelled out and it's in such an early version of the shooting script before many of the other camera directions have been added makes me kind of think that it was being used to convey more than just the camera direction purpose. 
To oversimplify the language of filmmaking, you generally will progress a scene by moving from a long shot to a medium shot and finally to a close-up, right? That creates a sense of movement as if the camera is delving deeper into the action with each successive cut. For this case, I think it's reasonable to assume that we are intended to be getting as close as possible to the characters. So close, in fact, that we're hearing their inner monologue. Each of them is reacting to the idea of a creature of the night. Or maybe I'm just overanalyzing it. No, 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 I like that. Each shot is that character's internal monologue reaction to Janet's experience. Brad quizzically doesn't get it. Creature of the night? <laughs> and Magenta and Columbia are bopping from the musical porno they just watched doing sing-song versions like they just watched Hamilton. Creature of the night! And like Riff is detached but seemingly amused. He likes any kind of chaos like the little anarchist that he is. Me too. And Frank is like very matter of fact. The idea of being drawn to a creature of the night is old hat to him. And Rocky and Janet are still in the moment, so they're all giddy and excited for the newfound experience. Yeah, that that sounds good enough for me. Yeah, I like that. Did Richard O'Brien or Jim Sharman, like, ever comment on it? So Richard does have a few things to say about the shot during the commentary with Pat Quinn, but it's all silly. We're going to paraphrase this here because, you know, it's unlistenable in the commentary, but Richard says this. Remember, people, when you're making love and you're hanging over the top of your loved one, the veins in your forehead stick out. Look at that. That's what we all look like when we're doing it. That's that's why we have our eyes closed. So according to Richard, he's just showing what everyone in the castle looks like while they're going at it. So Riff's line is from Magenta's perspective and Columbia's is from Eddie. And Magenta diving headfirst onto the camera is... That's the perspective from the tip of the mop handle. <laughs> ah, fuck off. <laughs> J- just the tip. Yeah, just the tip of the mop handle. Well, apologies to our fan from the holler and to all of our listeners that you had to hear that. Or not. Fuck you all. We know you liked it. Yeah. And big shout out to you, Rocky fan from the holler. May you be destined to forever know way, way, way too much about the last two lines of Tatcha Tatcha Touch Me. Sorry, bro. And that's our show. We want to thank everyone who wrote in this week, the Duke of New England and our fan from the holler. We've also got a few more write-ins that we weren't quite able to get to this week. We've got a question from a sexy trash can that I've had the best time researching. I'm still working on the answer. It's taking me down a bit of a rabbit hole, and I think you'll be very entertained by the answer. We also got some questions from our pals Jill, Rowan, and Hadrian. We'll be getting to your questions very, very soon. We promise. Thank you all so much for writing in. We really love getting your messages. And if you guys haven't checked it out yet, we've got a whole bunch of bonus content coming up real soon. It's all part of our brand new series called 10-4-D-7-11, where we're doing (laughs) bonus content for all of our listeners, short form, a little bit more intimate. You guys are going to love it. Go check it out. It's live on wherever you consume your podcasts and on our YouTube. You can go check it out there. So if you're enjoying the show like these guys, and you want to help us spread the word about it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It helps us make our podcast more visible to new listeners, which helps us to grow the show. Also, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Rocky Talkie Podcast. So please go check us out if you like us and want more content. And please write to us. We adore you all, and we seriously look forward to chatting with you all week. We want to hear about all the cool Rocky stuff you're working on and all the upcoming special events your casts are getting ready to do, and we want to share it on our show. 
If you're working on a Rocky-related project that you're excited about, if your cast is doing a show and you want to spread the word, or if you've got an amazing story from your Rocky Horror career, go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to share with us. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye! Bye. See ya! Adios! Global news. Bow, bow, bow. Uh, oh my god. Hey. Beep. Well, Mr. Head has a new film coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Head. Professor Head. I like that. <laughs> Librarian Head. Um, <laughs> Is there a Mrs. Head? Mr. Oh, head. He, he, in Buffy, he played the head librarian. all right so uh mr head has a new film coming out boy i can sure remember a few times rocky head rocky (laughs) what like getting head at rocky (laughs) that's horrible it's so funny boy i can sure remember a few times rocky head has ignited something in my core Who wrote this? (laughs) All right. Anyway, (laughs) in the interview, Mr. Head. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Let's transition over to community news. That was Uh, a song. No more head. Stop. No. I'll send it anywhere, but you pay for the insurance and postage. This is a really nice jacket. Although it isn't perfectly screen accurate, it would only pass as screen accurate from what? That's you. That's you. Oh, I thought it was the still thing. (laughs) This is why I tabbed. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Got it. This is a really nice jacket. Beep. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff? Jeff, my favorite character in Rocky. (laughs) Fuck me. Beep. No, so a big close-up shows just a face filling the screen. In an extreme close-up, it's only part of a face. Or it's like a small object like a watch. Or your dick. Or my penis. (laughs) Come on. No, I won't lie. I had to go... Oh, yeah, no. I won't lie. I have a small penis. (laughs) I don't want to do a Columbia impression. Well, then do magentas. <laughs> no, that one's worse. Okay. Um, <laughs> Creature of the night. <laughs> Clearly, I've never seen the movie. Nope. Mm. Beep. The first one just dropped. We're calling the new series 10... What is it? 10-4-D-7-11. We're calling the new series 10 4 7 Nope. Nope. Not even close. <laughs> We're... <laughs> The first one just dropped. It's no. The first one just dropped. It's part of our bonus series called Ten Four Seven Eleven. Mm. That's all of the extra. Con- no, what? Ten Forty Seven Eleven. It's Forty Seven Eleven, but it's Ten Four. Ten Forty Seven Eleven. I fucking hate. You gotta you guys. like pause in between four and D Seven Eleven. Uh, it's all part of our brand new series called 10-4-D-7-11, uh, where we're doing <laughs> bonus content for all of our listeners. Beep.